So this morning, obviously, um, is Remembrance Sunday, and I hadn't actually thought about that uh, when I was preparing uh, what I was going to say. Um, so I uh, have been travelling with uh, Andy and uh, Teresa a lot recently, and one of the things I noticed is just how often he tells his story over and over. And then um, Phil was speaking at our school recently, and he told his story, and I was just like, wow, there is something so powerful about people telling their story. So... And then I read, uh, even just this week, uh, on the Bethel Activation Ministry, so the BAM team, which is what Ahab and Jessica are part of um, out in Bethel, and Chuck Mayer, who's on the team, said this, don't underestimate the power of your own testimony. You have a story unlike anyone else's, and someone needs to hear it. And so today, I am just going to tell my story. So there's lots of things I could have spoken about, but I was like, I'm just going to do short and brief and to the point, and just really uh, tell you a bit about um, why really I am how I am. Um, and so before I do that, I just want to pray, because I like to pray. Uh, so we're going to do that first. Yeah, so far, I just want to thank you that, um, yeah, that today, as we remember um, all that has been fought for and won in this country, I want to just thank you that we remember your goodness. Uh, and we just give you permission, Holy Spirit, as um, just as I speak and as everyone here just, um, you know, sits and receives what you want to say to them, we just give you permission to help us to remember the great and amazing things that you have done for us, the way that you have so transformed each of our lives and that you have taken what was, um, you know, in sin and in darkness and damaged and you have completely transformed us and brought us into your kingdom and into your light. And so, Father, we just want to say thank you. You are so good. And we just want to give you permission uh, to do what you want to do. Thank you. You're so amazing. Amen. Um, right, so I am, um, for those of you who don't know me, um, one of the things that I often speak about, if you hear me talk, uh, I speak about intimacy, I talk about worship, I talk about um, joy, I talk about wholeness, uh, and I talk about declarations. And these are things basically that I am passionate about because they're how I live my life. Um, and so hopefully today you will explain it, what I explain will help you understand why they're so important to me. So I gave my life to Jesus when I was a mere 16. And then I came to university in Glasgow when I was 18. And um, basically got, in my first term, got baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. So age 18. Um, and then just, you know, during my student years, I grew loads. I was in a a great student church and, um, you know, we did stuff on the streets and uh, I just really had a lot of fun. Um, but I actually, when I look back, I was someone who didn't really love um, or like myself very much. Um, I had an unhelpful relationship with food. Um, I basically transitioned out of sort of student days um, into the work life where basically I was addicted to sugar. Exercise was not something that was part of my life. Um, and I basically had um, like varying reactions to being single, most of them not very awesome. And so I would feel like um, that was incomplete and that was often a message un unhelpfully that was portrayed even in the way that things were done in church um, was like if you're a couple you lead a small group or and so without anything being said it was almost like 
if you're not, if you're single, you actually can't fulfill the call of God on your life. And that was a lie that I had uh, believed. And so I, you know, was disappointed in God that he wasn't giving me the desire um, of my heart. Um, and so I, I really did feel like I needed a man in my life uh, to complete me. Uh, total lies. Anyway, <laughs> um, and so I ended up really just disappointed. Um, and unbeknown to me, what that meant was that my heart was really just dangling, waiting to be apprehended um, by someone worthy of it. And so I was a functioning, loving God Christian, but actually um, I was disappointed deep down. I was frustrated. Um, and I really was, wasn't satisfied with where I was in my life or actually who I was. Um, and so, you know, I joined Hope Church. Um, actually, I was thinking about it, it was like 10 years ago that I visited, uh, just over 10 years ago that I visited for the first time. And come January, uh, 10 years since I have uh, came to Hope Church. And um, anyway, so, you know, a year and a half or sort of two years into that uh, time that I've been here, our uh, church, for those of you who've been around or been to um our culture day will know that we went through what we term as Anna's Horribilis, which is basically like the worst year that you could imagine possible that any church plan uh, could go through. So um, we, I liken it to being hit by a wrecking ball. So, you know, like the big balls that like swing on cranes to smash buildings down. So it was like one of them hit us. And actually what happened was that we... Um, got smashed uh, up, all of us, and uh, we sort of got scattered, actually. Um, and so, actually, because I wasn't really doing that well deep down beforehand, I just kind of adopted this head-in-the-sand approach and kind of uh, plodded on. And so people would ask me, you know, how I was, you know, how you doing, how you doing, and, you know, concerned, Nick and Jan Treadcoat, and I'm like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I'd convinced myself that I was fine. Um, but actually... What had happened was I went into um, like self-preservation mode because what had happened was I had lost like pretty much all of my friends uh, who left the church. Um, the majority of my small group left. And so people who I'd built relationship with, who I had trusted, um, were no longer um, in my life anymore. And so what happened was I subconsciously distrusted uh, Christians because I thought, well you know, they just walk out on you. It was deep down what was going on. And so um, I disconnected myself um, from the church family. And um, because actually what always happened was that I was hurting more than I realized. And so um, what actually happened was I got uh, caught up in a few uh, unhelpful relationships with men. Um, because yeah, it was just easier actually to hang out with guys who weren't in the church than any of the mess that was going on in the church family at the time. And so um, actually what happened was my, you know, I'd explained my heart was dangling, waiting to be apprehended. And what happened was that my, my whole um, self-worth got caught up in what these guys thought about me. And so I basically just became all consumed um, by these relationships and um, actually allowed these men to take the place of Jesus in my life. So like my, my God spot, as it were. And that really is idolatry. Um, and so, you know, I got convicted by the Holy Spirit, as you always do. Um, and I had to make some really good and difficult choices 
Uh, and for me, what that meant was that I had to wipe and remove uh, these men um, from my life. So um, that verse that talks about, you know, better to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand or your foot than to, you know, and go into the kingdom of God, you know, maimed or, or uh, without a hand or without an eye, far better that than uh, to be thrown into hell bit of a harsh verse but for me I thankfully didn't have to gouge out an eye all I had to do was uh, remove some people and so uh, repentance really is about turning in a completely different direction and so I about turned and uh, what I had to do then was make sure that what was you know entangling my feet was completely cut off so that I could walk uh, forward and walk free and I remember um, well, there's a few key turning points uh, for me, but one of them was this. And this was um, a book that I read um, years and years ago. And um, this is a dream that the woman uh, described that she had. And so I'm just going to read it to you. Um, thanks. A radiant bride greeted her guests with a brilliant smile as she entered the reception hall after the wedding ceremony. She gracefully moved and milled around the room, the train of her stunning white gown flowing along the floor behind her, her veil cascading down her button-adorned back. She conversed with each guest one by one, taking the time to mingle and soak up the compliments. You look absolutely lovely. Your dress is divine. I've never seen a more beautiful bride. What a stunning ceremony. The lavish praises ran rang on and on. The bride's couldn't have been more proud and more appreciative of the crowd's adoration. She could have listened to them swoon over her all evening. As a matter of fact, she did. But where was the groom? All the attention focused on the bride, and never once did she call anyone's attention to her husband. She didn't even notice his absence at her side. Scanning the room, I searched for him, wondering where could he be. I finally found him, but not where I expected him to be. The groom stood alone in the corner of the room with his head down. As he stared at his ring, twisting the gold band that had just been placed on his finger by his bride, tears trickled down his cheeks and onto his hands. That is when I noticed the nail scars. The groom was Jesus. He waited, but the bride never once turned her face toward her groom. She never held his hand. She never introduced the guest to him. She operated independently of him. Uh, this is the lady still speaking. I woke from my dream with a sick feeling in my stomach. Lord, is this how I made you feel when I was looking for love in all the wrong places? I wept at the thought of hurting him so deeply. Unfortunately, this dream illustrates exactly what is happening between God and millions of his people. He betrothes himself to us. We take his name as Christians and then go about our lives looking for love, attention and affection from every source under the sun except from the son of god the lover of our souls oh how jesus longs for us to acknowledge him to introduce him to our friends to withdraw to be alone with him to cling to him for our identity and to gaze longingly into his eyes to love him with all our heart and soul what about you do you have this kind of love relationship with christ do you experience inexplicable joy of intimacy with the one who loves you with a passion far deeper, far greater than anything you could find here on earth. And so I read that and I was just like, no, I don't. I've never had a relationship with Jesus like that. Um, and so she, in her book, she later like, talks about like running away on a love retreat, love retreat weekend with Jesus. And I remember just laughing at that thing. Kind of, it sounded completely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but actually deep down realizing that I had completely missed something 
um, that, that I didn't view Jesus um, as the lover of my soul and I wasn't convinced that he was all that I needed. Um, and, you know, I'd hear people talking about, you know, like you'd, sometimes in big prayer meetings, like people would be like, you know, we need to return to our first love. Or they talk about Jesus being like, you know, how they were, when they first got saved, they were like head over heels in love with Jesus. And I had never felt like that. And so I basically just was really dissatisfied with where I was at and thought, right, well, if this can happen for me, then I'm going to go after it. And so I really I just was led on a journey into intimacy. Um, and so I, um, where I had been looking for a man to complete me, uh, Jesus was the one who wanted to do that all along. And so I remember uh, praying um, and asking uh, Jesus to woo me. So I was like, well, all these like, you know, men chasing after me, well, what Jesus, you know, I want you to do that. And so um, what happened initially was that I really, before all of that happened, I kind of had to go on a bit of a, an inner heart surgery journey because I had just like believed lies about who I was. Um, there were things that had been spoken over me that really just um, had been quite painful and difficult to deal with. But the thing that I absolutely love is that God is the repairer of all wounds. There's nothing that is too painful, sore, or difficult for him to set us free from. And so I um, I just had Holy Spirit highlight things to me, and he'd be like, oh, what this and that, and all these things were highlighted. And so I had to deal with some sore points that I didn't realize were there. I had to deal with some unforgiveness towards people that I hadn't realized that I had issues towards. Um, and I got completely um, set free. And actually, the way that I, how I liken that is like, imagine like in your relational connection to God, there's like a suction pipe that goes between me and him. Well, my pipe was full of boulders and rocks that I had kind of put in there. And so the free flow of relationship that he wanted to have couldn't happen. And so once all of that junk got out of the way, um, then I could enjoy uh, the relationship that he'd planned all along. And um, I was uh, just thinking, I'd been kind of looking through some old uh, journals and notes and stuff. And uh, I was even just chatting to Susie about this. And um, I had a, like... Um, kind of flashback memory of uh, out, being out for coffee with Jan Treadgold, not long after, well, sort of kind of during Annis Horribilis where I was going through my inner heart surgery. And uh, I remember her uh, asking me, Jan, who, um, who are your friends in the church? And I was like, um, 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 and I didn't have an answer because I actually didn't have, which is really horrendous to realize when someone actually asks you that question, um, because I had so distanced myself from everyone that although God in his grace and mercy was just adding phenomenal people to our church, um, you know, all the time, people were being added, you know, the Spicers rocked up, and, you know, can anyone imagine what Hope Church was like pre the Spicers? Well, <laughs> then they arrived, and the tread goes around. God just kept adding these amazing people to us, but actually... And then we'd prayed, I was uh, joking with uh, Luke, actually, Luke Merrick about this recently, because he doesn't remember, but I do. Uh, when Luke was a mere youth uh, in his teens, I think, um, we used to pray uh, on a Sunday evening. So like Phil and uh, Luke and John and I would pray, oh God, would you send us some young people? Because we were like the only, there was about five or six young people in the church, which is hilarious now when you look around the room. Um, 
but I didn't have any friends. And so I just really want to encourage you, if you are sitting here thinking, do you know what? I actually don't have any friends in this church. Then I just want to encourage you because what I had to do was start from scratch. So I had to put myself out there, feel like really brave and like, you know, I turned up at every event that there was going. I became like this. And then I just started to kind of like, invite people for, to things and even like I kind of like stalk people in a nice way because you're like well I want I want them as my friend and so I'm going to pursue them until I have a pal uh, and so Susie bless her <laughs> she got <laughs> stalked <laughs> uh, but you know so Susie Smith phenomenal phenomenal person and uh, we've been friends friends for a long long time um, and anyway so my journey into intimacy really became a journey of um, wanting more um, so I'd read the book of Acts and think, well, I want to live like that. Like, why am I not seeing people healed when my shadow passes them by? Or why am I not, you know, seeing all this cool stuff happen? And um, so I just started to uh, get hungry. And so um, Jeremiah 29, 12 says this, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so that is, that is a promise, actually. And he wants us to hunger um, after him. The Father God loves hungry hearts. And so I remember, like, just being hungry and, like, crying out, there has to be more than this, you know. And so I was like, right, I'm going to fast and pray for more. Um, and um, so I was, you know, praying and fasting every week. There has to be more. Go on, God, I want more, I want more. Like, nothing happening nothing happening. I was like, this is rubbish. And so I kept going because I was like, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing and I'm going to persevere in this. And then uh, one night I was in my house and I just felt like bizarrely led to march seven times around my coffee table. And uh, as I did, I just started to get really like, like I couldn't really walk properly. And I was like, what is happening to me? And then, um, and then I just sort of stood and I got, it was literally like I got um, blasted by a power bolt from on high, where one minute I was standing happily in my living room and the next minute I was on the sofa. And I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> um, and then Jesus uh, just started to speak to me really clearly. And that was a key defining moment for me where something just shifted in my relationship. Because uh, I didn't have regular conversational chats with Jesus uh, before this. Um, and James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I love uh, this because actually, again, it is a promise, but we have to draw near first. And the mirror word, if you've not come across it, phenomenal version uh, of the Bible, not complete yet. Uh, but it says this for James 4.8, snuggle up to the warm embrace of God. Don't you have to love that? Snuggle up to the warm embrace of God. Experience his closeness to you. In Christ, he cancelled every definition of distance. And so what I've had to learn is that I've had to reorder my priorities, actually, that I've had to take time out with him and invest my time and prioritise him. Like, if you were my friend and never wanted to spend any time with me, then our relationship would not really do very well at all because I am a quality time person. Um, and so intimacy is developed as we spend uh, time with someone. And so that is what um, I have had to do. Um, Jesus said, I no longer call you um, servants, I call you friends. Um, and actually what happens when we're friends with someone is that we get a revelation of what's important to them. Um, and that happens when we hang out with Jesus or we hang out with Holy Spirit or we hang out with Father God. Actually that um, he wants to have friends that he 
shares the secrets of his heart with and tells us actually things about our life and what he's got planned for us and what he thinks about us. Um, and Julian Adams, who is a great friend of this uh, church, he says this, radical intimacy in the secret place is key. We can't borrow other people's experience of God because if we do that, when we need to make a withdrawal, we will be bankrupt. So intimacy is so, so, so important. Jesus died so that we can have relationship. Um, um, and uh, I was looking uh, through some emails uh, recently. Andy um, Merrick, if you don't know, um, is writing uh, his first book at the moment. Um, so I was like, digging out like old historical items <laughs> uh, that he could use uh, for his book. And I came across an email exchange uh, that he and I had back um, uh, in 2008, um, where basically he was starting to realize that heavenly encounters were normal and that he was starting to experience some of them. So I was getting like the Andy download. And actually, then we were on a leader's weekend and I, he kind of led us on a heavenly encounter. And then I was like, right, well, I'm gonna, like something happened for me. I couldn't really explain what had happened, but it was like lasted for all of one second. And so I practiced because uh, our senses get trained with constant practice. Um, and so heavenly encounters, what they do to us when we have them is they are transformational. Um, they change our perspective from heaven uh, to earth. And um, they remind us actually who we are. Um, and, you know, I've had some outrageous things happen uh, in heavenly encounters. So this one time, uh, not that it was about a year ago or something, I... Um, had this encounter with God where he told me um, why he gave me my hair color and why he gave me the color of eyes that he did, which just completely messed with my head. It was amazing. And then I had this experience not that long ago where I was like in the throne room and I turned to my left and was like, that is Father God on his throne. Oh my goodness, where am I? I'm seated at the right hand. So I'm in Christ and I'm seated in heavenly places, and it just totally messed me up, but 100% convinced me that that Bible verse was true. And so actually, the Bible is just an invitation, actually, into encounter. Um, and so actually, encounters are also one of the ways that Jesus uh, wooed me. So I have danced with Jesus. I have ridden on the back of Jesus' horse. Uh, I've been for walks with him. Uh, I've watched the sunset with him, uh, like in my encounter, not an actual natural sunset. Um, I have looked at the flowers he's planted in my garden for me. And actually what has happened is he has done all of those things as I have just been completely overwhelmed uh, just by the depth of his love for me. And he's completely won uh, my affections. I remember um, a few years ago being challenged by the verse in Matthew 7 that says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. And I don't want to be that person. <laughs> I don't want to be someone that just sings about Jesus and that knows about him and uses his name. I want to be one of his favorites like Peter, uh, James and John were. And um, so I just want to ask you a question that really challenged me and set me on a journey of pursuing Jesus. At the end of your life, so or at your home going, that's my new phrase for when we die, at your home going, when you go to heaven forever, and it's busy when you get there, could you pick Jesus out of a crowd? 
could you pick him out of a crowd now and do you know what he looks like? And so I was very challenged. Someone asked me that at one point or I read it in a book. Um, and it just really set me on pursuit uh, of him. And so most of my heavenly encounters happen uh, when I am singing in worship to God. Um, and I'm just going to read uh, Colossians 3, 1 to 2, again in the mirror word, because I just think this is amazing. It says, you are raised together with Christ. Now pursue with persuasion the consequence of your co-inclusion co -inclusion in Christ. Relocate yourself mentally. Engage your thoughts with throne room realities. His resurrection co-raised you to the same position of authority, seated in the executive strength of God's right hand. Becoming affectionately acquainted with these thoughts will keep you from being distracted again by the earthly realm. And so I need to have regular encounters to, uh, keep my, to stop me being distracted and keep my gaze uh, fixed firmly um, on him. Um, so I, for anyone who knows me, love to sing uh, and just worship God. Um, and so I have had to make that a priority. Or, or not that I've had to make it. It always has been a priority. So I have uh, sang my way through rough times. Um, and, you know, Paul tells us that we're to rejoice always. So in other words, establish praise as a lifestyle. Um, and uh, the Bible talks about giving a sacrifice of praise to God, which means that it, we don't have to feel like it and it has to cost us something. Um, and so I have worshipped and praised my way through like two broken hearts. And um, actually what I found is that thanksgiving and praise and worshipping God are really, they're not just, they're not tools to strengthen ourselves, but because, well, they are, they are, sorry, they're tools to strengthen ourselves, but not because we get something from God, but because actually they, like when we do that, it reconnects us to our primary purpose, which is to minister to him and worship. Actually, that is, um, that's like, what, what I was born to do. I was born to worship him. And God is not seeking worship. He's actually seeking worshipers. Um, and so for me, like a Sunday morning is just a continuation of a worship and praise lifestyle that I have um, during the week um, so that it's um, easy for me just to quickly uh, enter in his, to his presence. Um, Ephesians 5, 19, again in the mirror word, it's, when it's the verse that's talking about um, singing uh, hymns and songs to God. It says, in your heart, don't let the music stop. Continue to touch the Lord with whispers of worship. So I love that. Um, continue to worship the Lord with whispers of worship. Um, and so another thing that I found to be really important is just guarding your heart, which um, in Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And wellspring could also be interpreted source our heart is the source of life. Um, and I'm not going to unpack all of that. Let, uh, oh, no, it's not online, actually. But I did a heart preach. Maybe I'll do it another day. But uh, Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, loving God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, which means that we, Jesus wants us to love God more than any of the other things that demand our time and attention. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Or my paraphrase, hugely happy are those with a single-minded heart in pursuit of God for they will continually experience fellowship and encounter with him. And Jesus wants our whole hearts. He, um, God is jealous actually for our affections, the Bible tells us, and he wants first place in our life. Um, and actually when something or someone else occupies that spot, 
um, than as I discovered that was uh, idolatry. Um, and so during this time, before Steve Backland or declarations were even all over the rage, uh, I basically set about reprogramming my brain with God's words and um, taking every cat, cat, uh, thought captive. Um, and so the awesome Teresa lent me uh, this book by Neil T. Anderson called Bondage Breaker, where you're like, got all these declarations and renouncing this, that, and the next thing. Um, and I just basically set about reprogramming my brain, actually, and um, stopping thoughts at the door of my mind if they didn't line up with Philippines 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so they became, that became like how I, almost like the way that my lens that I let things process through my head. Um, and so really my intimacy journey became an identity journey as I rediscovered uh, who I was and really got rid of the junk in my head that was contrary uh, to that. Bill Johnson, you've probably heard this quote many times because uh, we use it a lot here. Bill Johnson says this, I can't afford to have a thought in my head that he doesn't have in his about me. Um, and so it's so vitally important that we win the battle in our mind um, and live from a victorious mindset. And what that is basically about is intentionally thinking from God's point of view. We need to line up our identity with what God uh, says about us and not who we think we are. Um, and actually what happens is our thought patterns change when we speak something different than what we think. Um, and so um, I, did, I did declarations for years and uh, actually what happened was I started to believe what I was declaring um, and really believed God's uh, high opinion of me. And um, I've taken my prophetic words. If you've not done that, I would highly recommend it because prophecy, I believe, is an invitation to active participation. So we get to partner with God to see his word over our life come to pass. Um, and so I agree with God. I speak out um, what he said actually before um, it has even become a reality um, in my life. And so, um, how are we doing? Okay. Uh, August 2010, uh, we did something called prophetic post-its at small group. I'm sure some of you all have done them because I sometimes go around small groups and have people do them. Uh, it's just a really fun way of prophesying over people and you get to take it home with you. And uh, Lenny, who many of you all know, had this uh, word for me and she said this, she, this is what she wrote on my post-it. You're about to enter a time of awesome joy and laughter encounters in the supernatural that will blow you away. And I remember reading that thinking, oh, very, oh yeah, joy, oh, laughter, very good. I just totally dismissed it, totally dismissed it. And then yeah, that was a Wednesday. And then two weeks later to, to the very day, uh, we um, had a, a mission school, which we ran uh, or jointly uh, uh, ran with uh, White Inch Church of Scotland and uh, Kevin Deadman. Um, was there teaching that night and I remember like he was just talking about joy and unpacking it all and and it was just did a phenomenal job and um, and then they did this fire tunnel and uh, I got near to like getting through the tunnel but they had just stopped before I got there and I was like gutted because um, they kind of they had to get out the building and it all just got a bit shut down and um, I remember Sarah Harrison uh, Alan's awesome wife, uh, been either in front of me or behind me, and we were just like, aww. And uh, Teresa had been part of the tunnel, and um, so she 
I was like, oh, well, we'll just get Jesus to pray for us. And so the pair of us walk over to Jesus and she puts a hand on each of us simultaneously and we instantly crumple to the ground and we laugh and we laugh and we laugh and we laugh. And they're like, you need to clear the building. And we laughed and we laughed. And we're on the floor. I'm like, I can't get up. I can't stop this. <laughs> and so then we eventually get out of the building and uh, outside and we're in the car and someone's like, I want you to pray for me. And, and then we, we laugh and we laugh. And we're in the car for like, a, I had a Ford cat at the time, quite small. And we were in the car for like an hour, just completely and utterly intoxicated. The windows steamed up, you know, we're laughing our heads off. People were like knocking the windows, you all right in there? And we're just laughing, like, you know, sore. You know, if you laugh for an hour, that is sore stomach muscles the next day, do you know what I mean? And, um, and so what has happened to me as I've laughed uh, is actually I have just been completely changed and transformed. My, um, it's like my heart has been got rewired, um, which has been fun. Um, and the thing is, like people often comment about how, how I've got such a great smile or you're always laughing. And actually, sometimes it can be offensive and people get bothered by the fact that I laugh, probably at inappropriate moments. But actually, I am someone, I'm someone who has sobbed my heart out for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. I mean, you would, <laughs> if you'd been a fly on the wall, you'd have been like, who is this person? Um, because one of the... Um, the, one of the guys that my heart was attached to was tragically uh, killed in an accident. And so I was a complete mess. I mean, I just roared and I was like roaring and greeting <laughs> like for weeks was a complete mess. And so actually the fact that I laugh is so much now, I'm just like brilliant. This is like total like, you know, topsy-turvy kingdom, you know, like, you know, a weeping manger for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so... Um, yeah, so I, um, I've just basically decided that I'm not going to let anyone rob me of my joy. So whether there's, you know, other cars or the road rage or like peeping their horns at me, I'm just like, oh, well, you know, I just don't get bothered uh, by things that other people <laughs> would get bothered about. Um, and Proverbs 17:22 says this, a merry heart is like good, is good like medicine. And so I have just been completely healed uh, as I have laughed. Um, and Psalm 16:11, in God's presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice it doesn't say halfness of joy, but fullness uh, of joy. I don't even think we fully know what that looks like. Um, and Scripture tells us, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, I believe that it keeps me wired to His frequency, and also because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Um, and so actually being filled with the Holy Spirit for me is just survival. Um, um, and actually I have a, a helpful analogy for me is that I am like a plant uh, and that I get watered with the oil of gladness or like Holy Spirit baby bio is like what grows me. And uh, <laughs> um, joy is a fruit of the Spirit and one third of the kingdom. And the Bible tells us that he who sits in heaven laughs. And since I'm seated in heavenly places, then joy is my default position. Yeah. Um, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, he talked about being crammed with the Holy Spirit, which I love just that, what image that conjures up in your head. So brilliant. Um, and yeah, so the other thing, um, just before we finish, uh, is that um, I've had to learn that... Um, Actually, adventure is one of my core values. So I've had to live, had to learn actually how to live um, an unfrustrated life. 
Um, and I think it was Claire that said, oh, good book title, so maybe, maybe. Uh, so how to live an unfrustrated life. And actually, I am someone who gets bored very easily, very easily. I get very bored. And so actually, um, one of the things that I have um, had to learn uh, to do really, because what would happen is I'd have all these words over my life about who God, what he was going to do with me in the future, and I just would just get hacked off. I mean, that was the only way to describe it, because I'd be like, well, why is it not happening? Like, I'm sick of waiting. This is, I'm, uh, and I just, get, I just would get frustrated and, again, disappointed to just add to all that was going on. And so what I've had to learn um, to do is to take it one day at a time. And a huge revelation for me was that God is not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. And so why was I? Um, and so that has been really a key for me in living an unfrustrated life. Um, and the other thing that I have... Um, yeah, the other thing that is really a key for me in living an unfrustrated life is taking risks. So if, if Holy Spirit is like baby bio for my plant, then risk is like the compost. Actually, that I, I need to take risks and do like something fun and outrageous and a bit, you know, um, yeah, just a bit fun uh, so that I don't get bored. And so if you are like me, I want to encourage you that risk taking is a good thing to do. So I um, have been taking... Uh, risks with colors of front doors and door numbers and been getting it like completely wrong you know like that total like silent moment where you're like so who's that person and no one responds and you're just like oh well I took a risk and you're like oh no another wrong one and um, <laughs> you know completely like you know majorly like just like not succeeding at that one but it's the risk that God likes so it's fun um and then when I was in Paris, I got it completely right. And I was like, come on, this is awesome. Um, and so actually what happened when I took, like, as I've been taking risks, I've grown. And so, like, you grow, actually, as you do something that's a wee bit scary.